Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all of your favorite franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Snoonian, and joining me once again in the co-host chair, I hate saying the Igor to my Dr. Frankenstein, because that just doesn't sound... Because you really are like the Dr. Frankenstein. You really are the genius. You're really the Dr. Waldman of, of these that, episodes. You're I, I, the, can, I can live with Waldman. Yeah, that's fine. The, you're the measured. The, you bring the intelligence. You're measured. <laughs> you know, Come you bring... On. You know, you're not the mad scientist of the crew. You're Mr. Brian Kuiper. Brian, how are we today? Doing good, and I'm glad to be back. Um, even the lowest point in this series yeah. is still pretty great. You it's know? still pretty fun. It's still pretty fun. I, I have a good time with all of these. Yeah. So. And I have found sometimes the movies that I don't love yeah. are the easiest ones to talk about. Because, like, there's no sacred calves at that point you know what i mean like you, you yeah. feel like the gloves can come off a little bit yeah. so you don't I, feel- I mean and we can debate whether this is actually the the low point of the movie or not i'm open oh, okay. to that so you know. okay but also with us this week <laughs> our, joining our us guest seems to be unsure so yeah i'm interested to hear <laughs> well, our our guest today it's been a little bit i think maybe it's been since like phantasm oblivion like one yeah. of the phantasm movies joining us once again mr andrew fabry andrew how are we doing 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 great um yeah i it's i can't decide uh, i don't know it's definitely in the lower end like i referred to this when i was reaching out to mike about this i referred to this as one of the lesser frankensteins mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's the 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 least. I, I, I'm unsure about that. Um, it could be. It definitely feels like I've been trying to find the like Marvel equivalent for this movie placeholder movie that almost seems to just exist for there to be other sequels movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not sure which. I, I know there's a Marvel movie that would be the best example of that, but I just like Ant Man. Uh, like the first Ant Man, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. Um, or it's something where like it's a pleasant watch, but inconsequential. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Yeah, you know, and Paul Rudd carries off children. You know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. Paul yeah. Rudd throws people off of buildings. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. So, but Brian and I have spoken, I think, at length in previous episodes about our great love for Frankenstein and Universal Monsters. So we're going to turn it over to you. And I'm curious to hear, like, um, were you a monster? Were you a monster kid? Like, did you fall Mm -hmm. in love with Universal early on? And in particular, when did you fall in love with Frankenstein? So I, it's kind of, I was trying to think about, because I knew you were going to ask this question. I was trying to think about the first time I became, like, aware of Frankenstein. And that's, I don't know, maybe that's just because I, I, I grew up in, like, the late 80s early 90s that it's like mm-hmm. kind of like i don't know he was just there he was just doing a thing um my first exposure may have been scooby-doo and the reluctant werewolf um <laughs> like You're maybe person uh, to say that wow yeah may have been i'm not 100 percent sure but um i was always That's... like a 
man, that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> yeah. Not, not realizing that, but yeah, I think it, so. Yeah. And, um, so, but I remember, so what got me into the universal monsters, like specifically, I mean, I mean, I was like a horror kid, even when I was like, when I was really, like my favorite cartoons were Scooby-Doo and the real Ghostbusters. So mm -hmm. I feel mean, like I was always into that kind of stuff, but I had a, my avenue into the universal monsters was actually through the Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. Um, but not the Lon Chaney one, the Claude Rains one. Oh, okay. um, I got, I got really into that. I know it's not, it's not as beloved, yeah. but I, I still really like it, but, um, oh, it's got cool good. stuff, but it's not the best <laughs> version of the story for sure. Um, but I, like, I feel like that is included in the box set yeah. because they're like, we need mm -hmm. to get eight movies. Like we can't mm -hmm. do seven. We need eight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and it doesn't. It has like a pseudo sequel with Boris Karloff that I can't the totally remember the title. That the climax, climax, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, kind of. It, it has opera in it. It's, it's in color. It has, that's about all. That's this. And there's a phantom esque character, but not like whatever. Anyway, that movie exists. Um, but um, so I had like a when I was like six years old, I had like a fan of the opera Christmas, and I got that VHS oh, wow. of the Claude Rains one, uh -huh. and the beginning of that of that particular VHS had this like promo for all the universal monster movies that mm -hmm. you can find these on YouTube really easily. It has like Dracula talking and everything. And at the end of it, there was just like this list of all the movies in the thing with that, like 1980s, late eighties, early nineties, collect them all voice talking. And so that's, you know, that's kind of what got me hooked. And then I just started like, I, mean, I had already like been aware of these movies existing but then that was like when i started to seek them out and started like buying my own movies and stuff like i got the wolfman pretty early on um and so like that was kind of like how i became a monster kid but re really made it made me a like a universal monster lover for life was this late 90s brendan fraser movie um but not that movie um <laughs> the uh it was it was gods and monsters um, oh, and so, yeah, 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 the the better Brendan Fraser Universal one, Monster, yeah. probably. Yes, yes, the good one. Um, well, the mummy's yeah. pretty. It, mummy's good. It, not good. It's fine yeah. for what it is. Yeah. I was yeah. always disappointed in the fact that it's not really a horror film. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me about that. I should have just accepted it. But yeah. Um, but anyway, Gods and Monsters was really what made me start to rethink James Whale and. Mm -hmm. movies and like those movies in general so i started looking at it in a different light i started like getting the dvds and listening to the commentaries started doing the scholarship uh when i was in college i got this book by tom weaver and the and the i guess it's brunas brothers um, called universal horrors and it was like the first time i found a book that was about about these movies in kind of like a scholarly manner and that's kind of how I got into it. Bride Frankenstein ended up becoming one of my favorite movies. Um, it's on my letterbox top four. Um, and then so when it came to this movie, this is the one that I, I I have seen more than Son of Frankenstein for some reason. And but um, this one we had at the video store that I worked at. And I didn't own this one when I was growing up until I bought that like eight DVD or that eight movie DVD set that ever, yep. like you guys have are going through. Um, and, uh, and like I first watched this at some point in high school not really remembering much about it, but then I would just be out and about looking for universal monster stuff. And that's the thing I've been doing since I was a kid, just looking at, I remember at one point I was 11 years old holding up the universal monster pogs in a gas station, thinking about buying them. I was like, I don't have pogs. I don't need to do this and didn't, <laughs> did not buy them. But, um, like just to let people know, like there was this early resurgence in the nineties, like in the early '90s of the Universal Monsters, where they just put it on everything. They're on like, stamps. Yeah. 
They're on stamps. Yeah. yeah. Like you can, if you were to go into eBay right now and just type in like Universal Monsters advertising, you'll find all these weird things like, uh, like Doritos did a thing. Pepsi did stuff. It was just like a thing in the early nineties. And then when the mummy came back and, and gods and monsters, it kind of had another resurgence yeah. in the late nineties. And so it feels um, like it was the last time they were really like a bigger part of the culture. Yeah, totally. Like, I grew up with them in the eighties when they were on like every Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. you could watch a universal monster movie and they were on, there were like records and books. Um, but then in the nineties, you're right. They kind of got, you know, stamped onto everything like they could sell products. Yeah, which is yeah. weird, but cool at the same time. I got a couple of the postage stamps as yeah. well that came out, you know, around that time. So I had them, but I don't know where they are. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I have the same book you held up. I think it's in the living yeah. room because I'm using it for research stuff. But yeah, yes. so that's that's what I read <laughs> for to get ready for this. Mm-hmm. And there's I I found so this movie kind of fell off my radar for a bit because it is sort of just it's it's kind of like a placeholder Frankenstein. But then I was out and about and I found one of those castle films, eight millimeter things from like I get the late sixties, early seventies or something back when there was a monster resurgence from the sixties. And there was, it was an eight millimeter digest of this called the trial of Frankenstein. And I was confused as what this was. And so that kind of prompted me to look at it again. And then, about five years ago when it looked like we were going to have the dark universe uh, on dead letter, I made this like little let's go through the universal monsters universe mm-hmm. thing. And now it's when I rewatched it, um, ghost of Frankenstein again and rewatching it again this time. Um, I was like, you know, this is kind of pleasant. It's kind of fun. It doesn't do anything super special, but there is, it's interesting to see it in the big canon of both universal monsters and universal horror in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think what, strikes me watching it and then watching the universal monster movies as a whole, especially in the 1940s, even though when we talk about the 1940s movies, you know, we're going to say how they kind of are more kid stuff. Like they're definitely not the a pictures that they were in like those, the early to mid thirties, there still is an effort to connect everything. Like they're not lazy and they're the writers aren't lazy. And the mm-hmm. writers aren't slapdash. Like they are looking at the previous movies and they are at least making some efforts to connect everything in a way that like treats the audience uh, not as stupid. Yeah. Uh, which I was yeah. um, not really expecting, to be quite honest, like based on it being so long since I had watched these movies and what my expectations were. And also, they didn't have home video back then. So yeah. they didn't really have the like the onus to have to have that kind of continuity. Right. There yeah. was no expectation that some nerdlinger was going to go up to them or post online. Uh, Here are all the continuity errors. How could you do this? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the things that are different, I mean, the design is different of the castle mm-hmm. at the beginning, for example, but yeah. it doesn't really matter. You get the idea. Oh, it's Frankenstein castle. So, Hey, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I, it's weird because I, I've just been done the last, uh, four or five, uh, hammer movies. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of expecting a continuity because of the, I hadn't seen them all before. So I was, um, sort of expecting a continuity because of the universal movies. And there is not one at all in those. It's basically <laughs> like you're dropped into these different episodes in the life of the Baron Frankenstein. Oh, and, mm-hmm. um, there's no attempt to say, 
hey, this is coming straight out of the last movie, except between the first and the second. Otherwise, it's just, it's like an episodic television show, Monster of the Week Mm -hmm. even. It's very, uh, it's a different kind of thing, so. And those are mostly, it's like almost always Peter Cushing, right? Yeah, uh, the only one that's not is uh, Ralph Bates in The Horror of Frankenstein, which is actually not technically part of the series because it's it's a remake of The Curse of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Yeah. they were going to like reboot the series with that, mm -hmm, and it didn't work. (laughs) I need to go in, and I think I've only watched... Uh, the horror of Frankenstein and the curse. I think I've watched the curse of Frankenstein and then whatever the follow-up was, I need to go back and I need to rewatch. I need to watch all the hammer Frankenstein ones. And Lee was only the monster in the first one. And then it's okay. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm not doing this makeup. And well, that draws a a different um, kind of continuity though, between these movies, which are very monster. The monster is the continuity Mm -hmm. in these where in hammer, Dr. Frankenstein is the con is the continuity and it's Cushing all the way through. Um, And Cushing is the monster. I mean, Cushing is is the the monster. Absolutely. Yeah. He is, uh, he is a real mustache twirling, kind of kind of villain in a lot of those movies there's a couple of them where he's kind of empathetic but not very often so there's that like like, adage about how the difference between wisdom and knowledge is like knowledge is knowing that frankenstein is the guy and not the monster but wisdom is knowing that frankenstein is the monster monster. Yeah. yeah yeah i feel like the hammer frankensteins need to get added to the wheel for 2025, Brian. Okay, I'd be down for it, uh, but okay. I need a break because man, oh, yeah. those... <laughs> 2025. I, I, I spent I spent two months writing about the, uh, that. It just took me forever to write about those we're second not, four. <laughs> we're not here to work you into the ground. No. <laughs> how many of those are there? I mean, how many are, ones are there? Well, okay, so there are. Uh, I guess just just, just Peter Cushing. Seven, maybe, yeah. There there are seven total, but I took out the horror of Frank, so I'm going to move it into a different article mm-hmm. okay, uh, okay. because it's yeah. a kind of a standalone thing. So and it's kind of a parody. It's sort of yeah. a comedy. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So it's so, a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We'll give you a breather. I'm thinking next year, 2025. I'm down we'll for. It. I'll, I'll be. I'll be ready. Almost. I'll be ready yeah. for it by then. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think I've been convinced not to do the. The idea I had after walking out of Godzilla, Godzilla. minus one, I'm like, what if we just did Godzilla movies in 2025 and everybody rebelled? They're like, no, that's terrible. Like Thirty movies or something. Yes, yeah. they're like, like, we will do the, the Showa show. era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take a break, come back and do another era. What if know? we just did a year on the Matthew Broderick? godzilla <laughs> just that just 52 episodes on everything Woo. on there's, that i think there's a podcast series called like the Fra- i've never listened to this i just know it exists called the frankenstein minute where they just mm-hmm. analyze a minute of a frankenstein movie i mean mm-hmm. you, you could do that with godzilla well stay tuned for something <laughs> i'm doing this year with a, a different podcaster on a different horror movie that will be should have um, already we've already recorded a few episodes and uh 74 seconds at a time for a movie that came out in 1974. Oh, um, I can guess what it probably is. That's good. Yeah, I got to guess tools. too. What, what yep, yep. Um, <laughs> really excited, but, uh, yeah. and I'm really 
thrilled to to for that to come out. But let's not talk about that right now. Let's talk yeah. about background. <laughs> digress. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, shocking. Um, <laughs> that may happen in this one. <laughs> shocking. Mm-hmm. So I've got just got a few production notes this time around. Not quite as many as we did for the original trio of films here, but. Universal obviously wants to follow up on the success of the original Frankenstein movies featuring Karloff as a monster, but it's a solid two and a half years. Like it's November of 1941 before they announce plans to move forward with another movie. And uh, Brian, Andrew, I know you guys are like scholars of the Universal horror movies. Is there any reason why? there is such a gap. I know they're making like Claude Rains does Phantom of the Opera. There's the Wolfman. So they still are making monster movies. Why the wait uh, after Son of Frankenstein? Uh, I think part of it was Karloff was in Arsenic and Old Lace and couldn't come back to be the monster. I think that's part Mm -hmm. of it, but I don't think that's the only thing. Okay. Yeah. I was under the impression that he was like with son of Frankenstein, this is it. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. this again. Yeah. But he got to use arsenic as an excuse. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I don't blame him. And, and also Karloff was, um, I think it's 1941. 1940, 1941, he actually, his contract with Universal expires. Yeah. And he goes and works for Columbia and he makes some movies with them. Um, the Black Room is a good one. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, there are like four more. And I've seen them all. They're, um, they're okay. He's kind of playing the same character in them all, unfortunately. And, that, and he was sort of getting burnt out on that sort of thing. But then... Val Luton came calling mm-hmm. Broadway came calling mm-hmm. and so he's like he's actually like stretching himself as an actor mm-hmm. by the time Ghost of Frankenstein's coming around and he's no. like no thanks I've got some other things going mm-hmm. right. because by the time Ghost of Frankenstein is greenlit like he's in his 50s by now yeah. like he's mm-hmm. not a young man like he well he was 44 when he played the Frankenstein monster the first time yeah. I believe yeah yeah he was like early to mid 40s for sure yeah so he's you know, tired of sitting up in the makeup chair for hours at a time and we had talked about this like he had already stated like he's taken the monster as far as he felt he could go with it in terms of like, this is Mm -hmm. as far as of a character I can make it. And he was kind of afraid that the monster was going to become what Lugosi originally felt the monster would be, which was just be like this lumbering hulking creature that would grunt and growl. Like that is what Karloff said. That's kind of all that's really left for the monster to do. So he bowed out sort of what he's starting to become in son of Frankenstein. I think, I don't Mm -hmm. think son of Frankenstein gave him a lot to sink his teeth into. No, no, you have those two scenes we talked about, Yeah, but you're right for the most part. He's not in it that much, right? He's laying on the table. Most of that movie. mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really the Lugosi show Mm -hmm. and Basil Rathbone. Uh, it's really their movie like you we you had said brian that although he's like second build behind rathbone you could have made him third build i mean you could have made him fourth build behind lionel atwell yeah you know and inspector klug uh who is awesome i mean let's face it he's he's the best 
I actually kind of want to do a comparison, because like, I wonder if Peter Boyle as the monster in Young Frankenstein has more screen time than Boris Karloff does in Son of Frankenstein. He might. Oh, I think so. I yeah. think he does, yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that, yeah, because and, and it's not that he's not on screen; it's just that he's not doing anything doing for anything, so much yeah. of it. You know, he's laying down, he's on the table, he's getting X-rays, he's you know mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Andrew like arsenic and old lace, which mm-hmm. Karloff would play on film, but he also revives this character on Broadway, correct? And yeah. Karloff yeah. would go on to have like a pretty successful stage career and he would also be really successful in the early days of television with live performance especially when yes you were doing like basically live stage performances for mm-hmm. television as mm-hmm. well right he was a very reliable actor and people would call upon him because and you think about you know some of these universal's biggest actors at this around this era you've got lugosi who Unfortunately, you know, he was a morphine addict. He was, Mm -hmm. uh, money was slipping through his fingers. He would take jobs just to take jobs anywhere he could. He wasn't very reliable. People had to feed him his lines sometimes, things like that. He was a struggle for people to work with. And so that he could be a diva and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And this is not anything against Lug- I love Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to badmouth, but this is just facts of his life. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. And then you look at, you know, who we're going to talk about more today. Lon Chaney Jr. Um, mm-hmm. Had problems of his own. Mm-hmm. Karloff was just sort of reliable. He was just mm-hmm. a rock. He would come in, he'd be prepared. He'd do his thing. He'd go home to his private life and, you know, that was it. He would didn't make any trouble. And I think that that's why he worked all the way until he died in 1969. Yeah. I mean, he was, he made, after Targets in 1968, you know, he that makes five, made five more movies. He makes five more movies in Mexico. Yeah. And, and then and then he gets home and he dies. I mean, that's pretty yeah, much right. how it. And so he was he was a workhorse and he was just constantly working television, radio. Um, you know, uh, Vincent Price was kind of the same way. You know, yeah. So was Christopher I, Lee. You know, they were all just sort of working constantly because they were just reliable people. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, I, I think was a benefit. Vincent Price is like who I kind of think of like Vincent Price was definitely doing the, the Karloff way of being a horror actor. He was. Yeah. He, he didn't mind being typecast. He was like, okay, well, this is what I do and people love it. So why not? You know, mm-hmm. and it's still working. Yep. Yeah. And it's not working for the sake of it's not because like we need the money. We're in dire straits. Like Karloff is pretty well off by this time. Like he's, yep future is secured it's just like the love of the craft and the love for like doing it at this point so he just enjoyed enjoyed working and there are uh stories of like Karloff like later in his like very late in his career I think he did a an appearance with uh Vincent Price on I want to say it's the Red Skeleton Variety Hour I could be wrong about the comedian but it's they're in a couple things together. Like, it's, yeah, they were in uh, some of Corman's. Uh, they were yeah. in the Raven, the the Corman movie. Uh, yep. They were in and, uh, the House of Long I'm, Shadows. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. that no? That was Cushing no, uh, Lee and Price yeah, and, and Carradine. Yeah, but, Sorry, wrong one. But there's a there's like a com. Uh, well, the Raven's funny, but there's like another comedy one. Um, 
the the that they're in that I don't it's a Corman movie but I don't think it's a Poe movie. Oh, oh it's it's a uh, yeah, I know what one the terror. Yeah. Well, yeah, the terror. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one's and there's kind of one of them that they, yeah, the, the terrorist yeah. one where they yeah. basically use cut scenes from the Raven, right? And then they just filmed mm-hmm. more. Well, they, around they, it. well, that's the it's it's it, that's a that's an episode unto itself, frankly, because yeah. there were like five different directors on that movie, including Francis Coppola, yeah. Jack Nicholson, yeah. um, uh, Monty Hellman. You know, like <laughs> Corman's. Corman just threw everybody at it to try and finish this movie right. that ultimately he said, and they finished it, but then ultimately he said, we have all this footage left over Peter Bogdanovich. What can you do yeah. with it? And okay. then he made, and then he made a masterpiece with targets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, which is still, I, I mean, it's hard for me to pick, but I think that, and that's in my top three Karloff performances. Right. It's, oh, yeah. So it's brilliant. that body snatchers and bride of Frankenstein. I take it. Yeah. I, actually, I think I, I, you know, I think, I prefer. I, mean, I just, I just sort of collectively say his performance is the monster. But I think mm-hmm. I like his performance in the first one the best. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. And he's great in all three. I mean, right. as little as he has to do in Son, yeah, I love mm-hmm. him in Bride too. But right. man, I, I think something, right. something about the mute monster in the first movie is mm-hmm. just so powerful to me. Yeah. So, well, he does but- cool silent stuff in son of frankenstein too like does, the, his yeah. like that mirror, mirror sequence scene. is like yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i was thinking of the the show with red skeleton in price in price where he's very ill he's like basically in a wheelchair when he's not mm-hmm. on stage he's using a oxygen tank mm-hmm. and when he's on stage he's able to like throw it off yeah do a so- song and dance number perform marvelously and then kind of go back to his chair and, and yeah. you know, get assistance at that point. But like when the camera was on him, you would not know anything like he was suffering from any ill health effects whatsoever. Right. Like he was just on like he was just that kind of performer. So, yeah, those are the stories. Carl of is just yeah. that like he just bounded yeah. out of the chair when it was time to mm-hmm. go on. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So Karloff bows out. Needed to say, we'll talk about his replacement here. Probably, probably not quite as effusively, um, <laughs> but we know we do have kind words for. <laughs> sure. I, um, I have nice things to say. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but coming off the success of producing and directing The Wolfman, George Wagner is tapped to produce Ghost of Frankenstein. Uh, Eric C. Kenton is going to direct. Uh, and he is going to go on to direct the House of Movies, House of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. House of Dracula. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see what he'll bring. He's kind of like a lot of directing credits. He's kind of a workman-like director, yeah. like pretty easy to work with. Probably would have done, yeah, he probably would have done like the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but he had a falling out with Lou Costello, uh, which I think when we talk about Abbott and Costello, meet frankenstein like that will be a running theme like somebody having a falling out with like okay. costello i was wondering um, why he didn't do abbott and costello and the keystone cops movie yeah um, i think there was so that must have been the reason why because yeah. he did a lot of keystone cop movies i mm-hmm. think so yeah. yeah so so he's coming on board but coming and you're gonna see like there's four persons coming off of the wolfman that yeah. are as well as 
uh, George Wagner that are becoming on board with Ghosts of Frankenstein. So they're kind of like just moving. It's kind of like a production line, like just Mm -hmm. moving right on to the next universal horror. And you kind of like they don't know that they're creating in the Wolfman this like classic film that person we're still going to be talking about this movie you know like 90 80 years later mm-hmm. we're still talking about the wolfman like i absolutely love that that's probably one of my three favorite universal monster movies in in no small part to the performance of the man who's going to be putting on the flat top and the black boots mr lon chaney jr uh who's stepping in to play the role of the monster and he is gonna play four iconic monsters in universal canon plays the wolfman obviously he'll play frankenstein's monster here he'll play the mummy in one of the sequels and he also plays dracula in son of dracula in 1943 uh what can we say about lon chaney jr it's very troubled like he's someone that had a lot of personal demons he suffered from alcoholism and I it feels like he's someone who lived in the shadows like lived in the yeah. shadows of his father the man of a thousand faces Lon Chaney senior but also lived in the shadow of both Lugosi and Karloff and their the prestige that they earned from like their performances in the early universal movies yeah, yeah I think he's really being um groomed to take their place he's supposed to be mm-hmm. the new lon cheney karloff yeah. lugosi and he's just i well he's not really named lon cheney jr he's no he's Creighton cheney and I, yeah. I don't think cheney was necessarily even their last name as i as i recall mm-hmm. it's been a while oh, yeah, since yeah, i've good read point, up, yeah. that up on that but um i'm not sure that cheney is quite up to that task yeah I'm sorry to say it because I really do like him as an actor. I think he's great in The Wolfman. I think he's mm-hmm. he really ca- knows how to play Larry Talbot. He yeah. gets that one. Um, here, he's good as Lenny. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. He is terrific as Lenny in of Mice and Men in 1939. And I think that... Um, it's one of those things where, and I also love his, you know, his last great performance, which is in uh, Spider Baby. Spider Baby, yeah. Which is so good. You know, it's sort of like his targets, if you will. And yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's his swan song there. And, uh, but, but, you know, I think he was sort of forced into these other roles mm-hmm. and he just wasn't quite, yeah, quite capturing what made uh, Karloff's performance so special. And, and I don't think anyone ever really did after, mm-hmm. after Karloff. Um, so, and you know, I like Lugosi to some extent. I like Glenn Strange in the role fine and everything, mm-hmm. but, but you know, there's, I just watch his performance in this and I'm like, he, he like hardly ever changes the expression on his face. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so stiff. It's so, yeah. it's like a caricature of what, Karloff was doing instead of really embodying that the uh you know empathy you know especially in the scenes with the little girl I think that mm-hmm. is a sort of lost opportunity in my opinion so yeah Cheney he- plays the role of the monster like a guy that is woken up at two in the morning in a strange home that has to use the bathroom and is like <laughs> stumbling around in the dark trying to find his way to the bathroom 
Yeah. Like that is kind of yeah. like but eyes closed. Yeah. But that kind of becomes the, the well, I guess this and, and meets the Wolfman that, that kind of solidifies the, if you're going to go walk like Frankenstein, you're, you're going to stretch you're, out you're, your you're, arms and you're walk doing, with stiff legs. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing this, what, what originates here, but really becomes a thing in the next movie. Yeah. So yeah. Cheney, Cheney is an interesting guy. I it's, I've always, it would, it makes sense if you think about the pedigree that he would be good at a pantomime performance, which this, you know, it's a more or less, he doesn't really have dialogue until the end. And, and even then he, that's not, it's his not voice. his voice. Yeah. yeah. Which God, how cool or how not cool. How funny would it have been if he tried to do that? Like stereotypical Bale Lugosi accent that we all tried to do. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> like he's like, you would hope that he would have some of that from his dad to like, be able to, to do that thing. But it just does not happen. And I, there's reasons for that, I'm sure. But like you feel like somewhere on paper, people are like, oh yeah, he's Lon Chaney's kid. He can handle this, and he's not bad, but he definitely doesn't have the the like pathos that yeah. that Karloff does. Yeah. Well, you, you ever look at those old the, Chaney Lon Chaney Senior mm-hmm. movies, and he was a remarkable pantomime yeah. actor. I mean, his, mm-hmm. and it's a shame that he couldn't transition. He died before sound really took over because he had such a great voice too. Mm-hmm. And he only had that uh, one movie. Yeah, he did, you know, the remake of the Unholy Three. Yeah. yeah. But it's um it's so it's it's kind of tragic and um you know it's I just don't see the charisma that yeah. he had and sort of yeah. the connection, the it factor that uh it doesn't seem to have been passed on so much mm-hmm. to his son. And I, again, I sound like I'm being so mean to poor Lon Chaney well, yeah. Jr. because I don't know because I Why? feel like, like we said, he has it in the Wolfman. I feel yeah, like when he's yeah, playing, it was really good as Larry Talbot, especially yeah. like early, even early in the movie, like pre Wolfbite, uh-huh. when he's just like coming back to his Claude Rains and his father's state, and he is kind of like you know oogling, like he's kind of like taking two women to the fair, and he's kind of yeah. being like the dashing playboy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he fills the suit, and he and he has that kind of swagger about him, and he does have a certain charisma, but it's mm-hmm. really like after, you know, and Kurt Cinemac like invented like the myth of the werewolf whole sure, plot. Yeah. Like there's not like with Dracula, there's like the vampire mythos had been pretty well established. I know like Stoker had taken some things, but there was like a lot that was already there where Cinemac is really inventing a lot of things, whole cloth when it came to like, like uh, werewolves. Cheney's able to really give that a lot of pathos and mm-hmm. make him very sympathetic. Like you really felt for what Larry Talbot is going through especially in the Wolfman. And I wonder if a good chunk of that sympathy comes from Cheney's own personal demons and his own yeah. personal struggles as well. It feels like that's coming out on these really sweating that out on the screen. Yeah. If you ever yeah. want to see what alcoholism does to somebody like watch the Wolfman and then watch high noon. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Because he looks like, I think that they're only, those movies are only about like 10 years apart, but he looks like he's aged 30. Yeah. Yeah. He's puffy. Yeah. He's craggly. Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing um, watching this movie because Dwight Fry has a very oh, small yeah. part oh, yeah. at the beginning of this movie. And he looks like this is what, 10 years after Dracula. And he mm-hmm. looks like he's aged, yeah. you know, 100 years in that time. I mean, he's he's just 
he looks like and to be reduced from Fritz and Renfield mm-hmm. and Carl to random villager is yeah. just like it's <laughs> that's so sad to me because Dwight Fry is one of my actors He's, who every time I see him on a, in a movie I'm like oh it's Dwight Fry, it's Dwight Fry. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I so, have a head cannon for those villagers. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I am convinced they are descendants of Carl from Bride of Frankenstein. Ah, um, because all yeah, of them. Like, well, he plays like he plays at least two ones. I mean, and I'm, I kind of get the feeling that the villager in this one is the same villager later because there's not that much of a time difference. But right, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. So, like Karloff and Marilyn Harris in Frankenstein. Uh, Cheney would develop a bond with like the young girl he worked with here. Um, he would like put her on her knee. He would buy her ice cream in between takes. Like he was really kind with her. She described having like a great working relationship with him said like nobody on set was nicer to her than Lon Cheney jr. Was, mm-hmm. um, he even, in 1946 apparently offered to adopt her mm-hmm. after his or her mother passed away which her surviving father objected to and Can't i couldn't find a lot on that like that seemed like a very odd thing to offer to do when you yeah. still have a parent but um what do i know cheney would play the monster again in a live television production oh, yeah. of frankenstein like in the early days of TV and it didn't go well. Um, you know, I believe you know, he probably was inebriated when he was doing this. And I rumor had it, that he thought it was like a dress rehearsal mm-hmm. and that it wasn't. So when he was supposed to be smashing furniture, he would like pick up like chairs over his head and then like very gently set them back down and like set them back in place. Oh, um, didn't go well. Yeah. Hated the clips. makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Hated the makeup, uh, would complain about it on set, would complain about Jack Pierce. At one point, was so upset with like the rubber head that he like ripped it off his head in a fit of anger and it opened like a massive gash on his head. So Ouch. they had to like shut down filming, oh. uh, have allergic reactions. Yeah, to I heard it. about the allergic reaction, but I didn't know he cut himself too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, you know. Yeah. We'll talk about his performance as the monster, but like, my God. Um, wow. Also coming back, Bella Lugosi is Igor. We'll definitely talk about some changes in this performance. And Brian, had, had things gone any better for Lugosi in the two and a half years between Ghost and Son? Or is he um, still just making poverty role films? Yeah, we're, we're on the downward slide. Yeah. with Lugosi. Uh, this is 1942. Yeah. Um, a couple years later, he would be, uh, you know, appear in his last big film, which was The Body Snatcher. Um, and then he kind of went into the wilderness for a while. And there's a new book that's out uh, that I'm. is sort of like the lost years of Bela Lugosi. Apparently he would do like a lot of private parties and stuff. He, and he would show up on stage. He'd play Dracula as often as he could in whatever production he could play. And I'm, I'm really interested in reading this book. I haven't had a chance to do it yet because these are, have always been considered kind of the lost years between mm-hmm. 1945 and, and when he started showing up in Ed Wood films. Mm-hmm. But um, it sounds like he was just working, working, working 
doing anything he could. I mean, he'd like show up at kids' birthday parties, you know, whatever he wow. could get paid for. Uh, so I, I know, I mean, this is, but, this no, is, I, I'm thinking it, of him like doing balloon animals, which is like, <laughs> whenever I, some of it is kids parties, the first thing I think of, yeah, it's like, oh, I, it is, it is a wolf. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think so. I mean, uh, his movie career again, still poverty row. He means it's, it's very strange films. I, there's one, I think it's the bat. <laughs> That's uh, nifty. Um, so there's there's all kinds of things that he's kind of doing just to scrape by. Um, and again, you know, the Ed Wood movies sort of as they're cult movies now, but they were just considered bad movies at the time. Right. And so yeah. he was sort of like scraping the bottom of the barrel by appearing in these movies. But um, yeah, so and also the his addictions and you know his marriage broke up and just just <laughs> no wonder you know whenever asked about Bor- uh, when Boris Karloff was asked about Bella Lugosi he'd just say poor Bella yeah, uh, yeah. because he he just lived a tough life. Um, yeah, the, but, uh, uh, the the first edition of that Universal Horror book that we, that you and I both have like the the one you and I have probably doesn't say this but the first edition would say just said and to to Bela poor Bela yeah this is a pressing episode folks this yeah. is uh for a movie that's kind of like an action like, crowd pleaser right like, yeah. yeah well i'll tell you what was pleasing was the score by Hans J Salter okay is this not uh, the score from the wolfman cuz i feel like it's the score from the wolfman I not the not the main the theme, Wolfman. but like the, the the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, there's like you know a what? lot of Wolfman stuff in this, other than just okay. Bellamy and Anchors. But I mean, the uh, the opening credits is mm-hmm. the the background is the same thing from the Wolfman, yeah. like the yeah. forest and stuff. And so, like, I feel like it's the same. I feel like it has to be recycled. But people bring up which, how good the score is. Which part? So you think the opening credits? Not so the opening credits has the same imagery, but I think the the, the song is different. But I think the incidental, like as we're going through the story stuff, mm-hmm. is I feel like that's the same. Like not the the main theme that you hear hammered to death um, okay. in the Wolfman, but like the other, like little, like there'll be like a conversation between Claude Rains or something and and Lon Chaney and the Wolfman that I feel like got that gets borrowed, but I mean, it's a good score, but I, the whole time I kept thinking, is, is this the same? Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't think he, is he credited for the Wolfman score? I didn't see that in his bibliography, but hang on here. Yeah. He's not the only one for the Wolf. Cause I looked it up. Um, I think he, it's him and a few other people. He may not be credited. Um, in the opening credits, but mm-hmm. I know, he was—I saw him listed on there. You're not confusing the Wolfman with the strange death of Adolf Hitler, are you? Oh, oh people have made that. <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe like I am. many times. No, but he—he yeah. he does work on like a number of Universal horror movies. Does House of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Creature of the Black Lagoon, couple Another of Invisible that gets Man movies, to death. yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple other Invisible Man movies, um, Son of Dracula with Cheney, but no, I did not see the Wolfman when I was like doing some reading, and he does another movie just called Hitler. So you know, the guy right. liked Hitler movies for some reason. He was like, 
<laughs> you know, if you uh, are doing something about, I'm not saying he was pro Hitler, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that if like Hitler was the subject, he would like, you know, compose some music for it. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it was probably just a sign. It's like, hey, you did that last Hitler movie. Will you do this one too? Uh, you're the Hitler are you guy. Gonna, are you going to pay me? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I made a note here, like when I was watching this, the scene where Shaney is like reaching for the lightning, like when they're leaving the mm-hmm. village and he's reaching for the lightning. Like I heard echoes of like Bill Conti's score. Uh, I think it's called going the distance in the mm-hmm. Rocky movie. It's playing mm-hmm. during the fight with Apollo Creed in the later rounds. It's like, mm. r- it's my favorite piece of music from Rocky. I actually like it more than the main score. Uh, it's when Creed like knocks down Rocky and Mickey's like, stay down, just telling Rocky to stay down. And then Rocky gets up and breaks Apollo's ribs. Mm. And that part of the score, like I, I heard echoes of that here. And I was mm-hmm. thinking like, no, Mickey tells Rocky, you're going to, eat lightning and crap thunder. So, you know, uh, I thought that was a stretch too far, but I, I, I did. It's I out there in the zeitgeist. Dude. I, it could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely ghost of Frankenstein was in the zeitgeist uh, in the night. Well, Frankenstein in general is in the zeitgeist. Right. Dude. Like, you know, um, County, he's, he's just watching, but you know, TV, even shades of like Han and Leah's like love theme and empire strikes back. I heard a few notes of that that seemed to like come from this. So definitely felt like a score that was, you know, definitely heard by some folks and, yeah. and was pulled from. So I'm sure I, really that, that, that lightning scene always makes me that make that. Oh, I always refer to that as the Jason lives part of ghost. Oh, of Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, especially because it's like great. right after that bitch in graveyard that they mm-hmm. walk through. Like yeah. when I think of a Halloween graveyard, that graveyard they walk yes. through is the one I think of. And then mm-hmm. he gets struck by lightning and has his like Jason lives moment. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it, and Igor repeats his line from Son of Frankenstein: "Your mm-hmm. father was Frankenstein, your mother was the lightning." Like it was the first thing that he like he had never yeah. thought of it before. Um, you know, I think maybe mm-hmm. it's not in the notes. One, we it might be worth uh, mentioning also uh, Evelyn Anchors here because uh, yeah. she's she's sort of looks like you know as much as Lon Chaney Jr. sort of being groomed to be the leading man of the Universal Horror mm-hmm. movies, she seems to be put in here as you know the leading lady of these. So she's in mm-hmm. Wolfman, uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, Son of Dracula, The Invisible Man's Revenge, which is like my second favorite invisible man movie, believe it that, or not. It is it's a actually, good one. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so, so just seeing man made monster like also. Um, I don't see it here, but okay, um, maybe not then. Yeah. She's in uh hold that ghost. I'm just kind of reading names here now, yeah. but uh, a and C yeah. weird woman, the mad ghoul. That's it. No, I was, it was the mad ghoul. That's what I was thinking yeah. of. Um, yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah, Mad Ghoul is there. We go. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, it's released in March of '42. Considered a success. It actually gets mostly positive reviews. Like it actually is considered um, pretty strong. Like not quite as strong as the other Frankenstein's, but does pretty well and gets decent reviews. So you know they're going to return to that well. Um, but 
let's talk about this movie a little bit. And I guess I want to ask, because this is a, a point in that Universal Horrors book that you have, like one of the things they discuss in there is the difference between like a horror movie and a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to maybe start the discussion with that because like a horror, and they make a good point where like a horror movie, it discusses our own fears and it can get very nuanced and we can discuss, you get like very psychological and we can get into like our own inner turmoil and we can externalize these things. And that's what makes a really good horror movie work. Whereas like a monster movie is just like, here is a really cool creature design and it's running around smashing things, doing monster things. They're not really yeah. kind of getting into any sort of existential dread. Yeah. And I'm wondering where do you think Ghost Falls here? I, I kind of think it's a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, there isn't really anything particularly scary that happens. In, well, okay, no, it, the movie came in the 40s. It's not, few things are going to be scary to me. In that in that sense, but I don't see them attempting to be scary um, in this one as much as they're like, we have a monster. Let's make a fun movie with a monster. Yeah, and there's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely farther on the spectrum. I mean, every now and then it like tries to uh, talk about something that is a little bit interesting, but most <laughs> of the time it's like you know monster smash uh yeah but uh there's some interesting things here and there in this that i really kind of dig um yeah. you know particularly when it comes to the story with the little girl i think that is yeah uh it's sort of an extension of the maria mm-hmm. thing from mm-hmm. the first movie you know all the way th- that goes just all the way through the movie um mm-hmm. so and and you know she doesn't die spoiler alert but you know uh which is too bad, right, Mike? <laughs> you know, we get accused of being pro dead children in movies quite a lot, and that's yeah. my fault. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So, yeah, I feel like now and again, this movie like tiptoes up to making like an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, where, but, and I don't know if it does that accidentally. Like the, <laughs> like the idea of the monster like carrying the girl, the young girl in. And suggesting on its own, like, put her brain in my body because it feels like it has a connection with her. Like, that's a fairly interesting point for a movie to make in, like, Mm -hmm. 1942. That's my favorite scene in the movie. mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that's the where it works the best for me. And, you know, where Mm -hmm. she just – and even their first encounter where, you know, the other kids run away and she Mm -hmm. just kind of – you know, grabs his hand. Are you a giant? You know, sort of Mm – a lot of it is – that's one of the things with this movie is it's a lot of like just rehashing of other things from other movies. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so it is a lot of the Maria thing and the Mm -hmm. thing from with Peter in the previous movie. He's a friendly together. Yeah. And um, you know, the walk on the roof and get my balloon, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but the other thing I found, fascinating and we'll maybe talk a little more i i'll save it for a little bit but bomer's 
suggesting that you can't murder the creature. You can't dissect the creature. That would be murder. And I'll I'll save that for a little bit. But I feel like every now Mm -hmm. and then it stumbles upon like these larger ethical questions that are kind of fascinating. And Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that it's doing that on purpose. I think that it almost like stumbles upon that Mm. uh, because it never really explores it with any sort of depth at all. Whereas like maybe like hammer would have like 20 years later, a hammer movie would have done that a little bit where these were churning them out. And I'm wondering because this movie comes out in 1942 and by this time, you know, we're in world war, we're now actively engaged in world war two. So, a great number of young American men are shipped overseas. They're in the Pacific. They're they're in Europe. They're fighting. So a large part of your audience is gone. Like they're engaged in warfare. Do you feel like this movie and a couple that are follow that follow? Do you think they're specifically designed for children? Do you think that these like the that Universal is saying? our audience are going to be like kids that are going to be eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. I think that that double feature that made son of Frankenstein be a thing. I think that like a lot of, a lot of kids probably went to that. And so Mm -hmm. that's probably when they started to, and Maria being such a big fixture of that, that kind of makes it well. And you know, Peter who's acting is not the best, but I mean, like Peter, yeah, but I mean like, but Peter's legit. I mean, that's how a kid would act. (laughs) I mean, like I, like I'll, I'll give him that. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's when they kind of start to see that. And then especially when, with the later movies, when they're like, when they start doing the monster mash thing, that definitely has more of a kitty fair thing to it than, than like a, like a, a, I don't know, a pathos ridden horror film. If you, if you, an elevated horror, if you, mm-hmm. if you want to yeah. use that derided term, but um, yeah, I'm kind of, that's, this is where they start becoming, you know, Saturday morning fair, which is yeah. not a bad thing. I mean, that's I think there's a good thing for that too. And you can have ethical things in a or ethical questions in a monster movie too. I mean, that's what the Iron Giant is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm with you. This is uh, uh, to me I think this is absolutely uh, directed towards children and saying, mm-hmm. you know, and it really does carry through all the way to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein that mm-hmm. this is supposed to be something that um will appeal to you know, the widest audience we possibly can. And, you know, because, you know, we just, that that's just, there's not like a demographic target necessarily, but it's like, okay, so let's, let's uh, give ourselves, let's make sure that we can get the little kids all the way up to their, and their moms won't hate taking them to right. this, you know, to, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that that, I, who knows? Maybe in the, I get the idea that in the forties and fifties, it was like, okay, Sonny, go on to the movies, you know, mm-hmm. leave me alone for a while. Um, was, I hear stories like that from, you know, like Joe Dante yep. and things like that, tell stories like that all the time. So, um, that may well have been the case, you know, it's like yeah. some, somewhere yeah. for the kids to be so that, <laughs> you know, what do we make of Cheney's performance as the mom? We kind of hinted at it, but let's maybe dig into it a little bit here. Uh, you know, I feel like we kind of hinted around it a little bit here, but digging into it, I think the biggest thing that stands out is not only is the monster unable to speak in this one, but he's completely mute. Like he, like when Cheney is performing as the monster, he doesn't make any sounds whatsoever. 
and it's odd and kind of disconcerting like he's completely mm-hmm. mute and kind of led around and he's not quite at the place that he's going to be in another movie or two where the monster is really just like a glorified like hired goon mm-hmm. but we are quickly approaching that here right mm-hmm. i don't think it's a bad performance for mm-hmm. i mean because like i said there is there ends up being something kind of accidentally iconic out of it but this is you know right. when we when we ape frankenstein we tend to go off of this and and uh lugosi's performance in the next movie but um the it works for what it is but it is it does for what this movie is um i think he does he has a pretty good performance with the little girl um when they have those scenes together mm-hmm. um but other than that it's just like this did not need to be lon cheney jr necessarily mm-hmm. it could have been you know i mean i don't know if glenn strange was already doing stunt work then but but i mean like so well one of the things i feel like he was cast was like hey here's a big guy yeah. Um, who we have under contract and mm-hmm. let's capitalize on, you know, the fact that he was the wolf man, yep. you know, and he fits the suit. So go, you know, yeah. that's, that's kind of what it feels like that. Like there wasn't a lot of thought put into it necessarily. Will he work as this character? Yeah. And he does. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just kind of a, and I, this is, I think my feeling of the movie as a whole, it's just kind of mm-hmm. uninspired. It's just sort of lackluster. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Even like the lighting is so different from the other movies. It's very flat, the, mm-hmm. the very flat lighting. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's no shadows and, you know, harsh angles and there's none of that stuff those qualities, the expressionist qualities and things like that, that make yeah. the first three kind of special as far as their look goes, they kind of bring that okay. back in the next one. But, um, and in like the design of the lab equipment is so boxy and boring. boring. I mean, it, there's, just, it's just not, it, it, there's just not much to it that makes visually draws the eye. And I think that kind of, also lends itself to the performances they're not they're competent but they're not special i guess yeah Uh, that's kind of how i feel about this movie as a whole i mean it's entertaining escapism for you know 68 minutes but there's not much else that makes me go oh yeah let's uh i gotta watch ghost of frankenstein again right this second because Mm -hmm. physically Shaney definitely fills the part. You mentioned, yeah, he does. He's talk, he, well, like Karloff he's was like too small, three, two thirty. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. mentioned how like Karloff was cadaverous, like especially in that first movie, yeah. because Karloff was like face it, like dirt poor and not eating, like how thin he was and how they had to really like bulk him up for a lot of it. And Shaney is built like a linebacker. He's six he three, two hundred and thirty yeah. pounds. He's about 280 once he's under all the makeup and costume. Yeah. So he looks monstrous. The problem is like Karloff was able to give not an athletic performance, but there's like a sense of menace and there's a sense mm-hmm. of like he could move. All right. And yeah. he could yeah. actually physically move in that role despite the back problems, despite the advanced age. You almost want to yell like Cheney has this one thing he does where he like those old action figures you would get where you would like twist the body and then let it go. And it would like let unwind like a karate chop type of deal. Like it's almost like this slow backhanded chop that it would do. Like everything is slow 
Mm-hmm. Everything is like laborious with it. It's yeah. kind of all of that kinetic movement that made Frankenstein like visually exciting mm-hmm. is gone here. And it's a slog. And it kind of like I made a note like this is the shortest of all the movies. Mm-hmm. This is only like 67 minutes long. And it feels much, much longer. <laughs> And it's weird because they even kind of pad it out with this backstory mm-hmm. sequence where they just flashbacks oh, yeah. of, of the previous movies. And a, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a creative previously on, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but not, not done in an artistic way. Nope. Like, like nope. in Bride where they yep. sort of recap the first movie and the first, you know, they do it so, you know, speedily and efficiently mm-hmm. and effectively here. It's just sort of like, Oh, let's, show clips from the first two move three movies i fell asleep twice like (laughs) re-watching it for the show like because on thursday i called out from work because i just wasn't feeling my best and i'm like you know what i'm gonna re-watch this this afternoon get a little jump and i'm on the couch and twice like i fell asleep during this movie for a couple minutes because it's just like it's a bit of a slog Mm-hmm. to get through it. and there are fun bits to it i mean yeah, i'm not yeah, saying this yeah. is terrible one thing i do appreciate for a lot of the flaws of the film i do appreciate the attempts at continuity mm-hmm. with son of oh, frankenstein yeah. like and this is something I, I think there's like a really interesting movie and i would love if del toro's frankenstein does really well and they make a follow-up to it i would love if they go the this route where the village is in dire straits. Like no one is visiting anymore. There's no food. Um, Everybody is in financial peril. Everybody is ruined at this point. And all that's happened is like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Like that, it to me is a really fascinating thing to follow. Like I love the first couple minutes. So I love that they're referencing plot points from son of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. That's like, no Igor's body has been riddled with bullets and, the monster is in the sulfur pit. Like they're following the trajectory of what had happened before. I, um, I, just, I just realized that that's exactly what Springwood is like. And Freddie's dead. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But just less Roseanne Barr if, in whatever yes. they do <laughs> yep. next. So I wish they would have followed this more. Um, but instead you get, well, go ahead and destroy the castle, I guess. And then, they end up freeing the monster. Now for all of that continuity that I just praised, it is super weird that the monsters like fur lined shirt disappears. That shirt is so fun. Well, one of the things that I noticed though, watching this is when he's first brought out of the sulfur pit, he's wearing, you know, like that, that except it's like the fur has burned off of it. Has it? Yeah, and so and then and then so he's first when he's first covered with all the crap, all the dust and stuff like that. It it is like that poncho whatever shape thing that he had, and then it's so it's like so it's not the open jacket, you know? Okay, yeah. So I think that there is that there, but when you see him, you know, a scene later, you know, or two scenes later again, he's clean and Mm -hmm. he's wearing his look from the first movie and yeah. it's like did they find a new suit you know i don't I know you know give him Does a bath hose him a down yeah i think so you know well um, and they travel right they like yeah they, they, they leave the i guess the town of frankenstein 
apparently. And they go and, seek out Frankenstein's other son, other brother, which is yeah. which is just like, oh gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, yeah. I, I'm sorry. When I first hear that, it's like, okay, um, so let's let's shoehorn something into this plot. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. what that feels like. But I don't, yeah, I don't remember. There's some explanation <laughs> as to why Rathbone didn't do this. Um, uh, uh, yeah, maybe he was busy being Sherlock. I have no Sherlock idea. Sherlock Holmes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know, but yeah, there's because apparently they intended it to be Basil Rathbone again, but then they didn't do that. So he could not be bothered. Yeah. What do you make of my claim that this movie's a bit of a slog? Am I being too harsh here? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some some for a movie that's only sixty seven minutes long. It does definitely have some lulls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got some fun highs. Like, I mean, like I like that walk through the through the graveyard. I like him getting hit by mm-hmm. lightning. Yeah. Uh, Kettering's, um, like the sequence around Kettering's death is, you know, interesting. Like, why? What? So you, like, you guys talk about why do you have a kill switch? Like, why do you have that lever? Mm-hmm. Why do you have? Why do you have like the poison gas stuff? Yeah. Yes. What's up with that? Um. So there's like <laughs> little things like that 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 pull that you know that get me into the movie. But yeah, there's just so. I couldn't figure it out, like the where the poison gas is, because he's a psychologist. Yeah, correct. Or he's like, so, I guess a brain sir. He's a brain guy. Okay. He's like, yeah. Um, which so he's is a maybe back in the mind. Sort. I think he's is like, what it says it, on his yeah. Placard. He says yeah. like, yeah, you know the kind of people that I treat here. I think he says yeah. at one point, which is like, hey, we are getting dangerously close to pathologic pathologize. Yeah. can't yeah, this, speak you get what i'm saying about mental yeah, illness this guy um, definitely did some lobotomies is, yes. is kind of is kind yeah. of the the vibe that i get uh-huh. so he's like the forebearer to like jeffrey rush in house on haunted hill basically uh, yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah. great um is this poison gas in his own basement or is it in like the asylum like i, I, I don't know i i have yeah. no idea where his where his like office building is is it both and his you know, house like is it the same thing evelyn anchors is just around a lot too like is right. it the same place like why yeah. would you want poison gas in your house like if your dinner party goes too long like these guests won't leave guess i gotta poison them <laughs> yeah. i guess like i got um maybe i guess maybe you heard about like bedlam and so like maybe that's why you have that like in the event of or like there's a riot and maybe but even then i feel like i'm being generous there so yeah yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit much. Yeah. What say you, Brian? Oh, well, it's, it's there's uh, it. Okay. So I watched this in two pieces as well because I was, uh, and I, I, I started it yesterday afternoon and went, cause and I had to stop it to take, um, my daughter somewhere. And I, I paused it and looked at the time and went, it's only halfway through. <laughs> I, I was anyway. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I finished it this morning and was like, okay. Um, I, I kind of like this movie less every time I see it. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to say, um, but um, it's, but like we've all said, it really does have its moments. It's yeah. just as a whole, it's, it doesn't hang together as well as the yeah. other in the others in the series and it, you know it, it is fun i and i i put a note here like things might go better for the monster if he maybe just stopped randomly picking up little girls uh-huh. you know 
Because it seems like nothing good ever comes when he's like, oh, there's a young girl. I'll just pick her up because this just leads to bad things. Right. And that's listeners. That's life advice for you in general. Yeah. Like see a a young girl on the street and you're tempted to just pick them up. Don't. Nothing good will come of it. I did. Um, I did back when mustache, like when November was a thing, mm-hmm. where you like grow a mustache for for November. Like one November, I had a mustache, and I was out in a a uh, like a grocery store, and this like kid fell down, and I was like, I can't help that kid. I I look a certain <laughs> I look a certain part right now. I have to leave that kid in the aisle and go carry on with my life. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's great yep the kid's just sitting there crying next to you and you're like just gonna get my cheerios sorry kid can't do it yep love it (laughs) so i mean yeah frankenstein carrying around martha to help her get her balloon that's kind of fun Mm -hmm. frankenstein like slapping a guy off a building like that's kind of fun frankenstein in court like frankenstein i know order Kind of like it's ridiculous, uh-huh. but also fun. Like Frankenstein getting cross-examined is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, well, and the fact that there's an eight millimeter. Listeners can't see my face, but yeah. I'm just like, how? Who? How? Yeah. Well, the thing is they caught on to that because like when they made that like eight millimeter digest, they just they focused on that particular part of this mm-hmm. like trial of Frankenstein thing. So there, there's a lot of people out there. There's a bunch of boomers out there that this was how they learned about the ghost of frankenstein mm-hmm. jesus yeah <laughs> wow yeah brian's just really shaking is. his head I, I don't even know what to say brian yeah, do you think like... you have like a 10 part series on ghost of frankenstein yeah, no i know i do not you think you could commission this with manor vellum no i i don't think so i i you sure yeah. i think you do hey hi <laughs> so just, you can do this i'll talk about it you know We'll okay, talk so off there. Six, six minutes at a time. Okay, we'll break this yes. into a 10 part series. Okay. Lugosi is back, and Igor is still a lot of fun to watch, but it's a different Igor. Like, mm-hmm. I think that yeah. a lot of the. There are moments where he's still really cunning, and people still underestimate him, but he seems a bit neutered in mm. this one i think and i'm not quite sure why that is i wonder if that's because it's the, the they wanted to make a quickie like they wanted mm-hmm. like a quick six i mean like because this is so this is 67 minutes uh the, the other one is like son of frankenstein's like 100 minutes like mm-hmm. i wonder if that's part of it like he doesn't get the time to do more yeah um and maybe that's one of the just the issues in general but even then that would have just made the movie feel longer mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know he, he just doesn't get like the son of Frankenstein. Lugosi is really having the time of his life. And he really yeah. is the highlight of that movie. It, it's my favorite Lugosi performance. Like I prefer it to Dracula here. Like, like you said, Brian, he's like kind of like playing the hits again. Like he's saying yeah. like, you know, but it doesn't come off the same way. He doesn't really get like his opportunities to. There's no revenge story that was mm-hmm. so compelling in the last one. He doesn't no. get to sort of use the monster as his mm-hmm. instrument of, you know, retaliation or whatever. Uh, so that was kind of what made him kind of this fun villain in the fir- in the previous movie. And he just doesn't get any of that. He kind of just 
says, oh, I'm going to take you to be healed. And uh, then he essentially lays on a table. I get yeah. sort of he's sort of relegated to Karloff's role in the previous yeah. movie, yeah. and it's a shame. Yeah. And he's like got, speaking of, well, well, well you first, sorry, Andrew. No, okay. you first, um, Andrew. So, um, like thinking of Karloff now. Okay, I don't, I don't really buy into them having like an antagonistic relationship, like uh, like Bela and Boris. But no, I do know I that, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy into that. But um, as as funny as that scene in Ed Wood is of that, yeah, right, you know, right, it, yeah. yeah. Um, it, but um, the I do, however, know that you know Bela definitely was envious of Carlos. Oh yeah, there's no career, doubt. and I think he probably got a little added joy that he got to do so much more as Igor than Karloff got to do, and so he got to like. He got like a little extra, like, oh yeah, you think he's awesome? I am also awesome. So he's kind of putting that energy out in Son of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But since it's just against Cheney, he doesn't have that extra subconscious, like, the I don't know what else to you know energy to put out. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. Doesn't but. have the same and, kind and of play know, off of. Doesn't have he, that same. Yeah. yeah. And like you mentioned in the last one, you know, Roland V. Lee, you know, sort of pushed for Lugosi to have a bigger part in mm-hmm. Son of Frankenstein as well. So he didn't have that advocate in mm-hmm. Earl C. Kenton, right? Is that his yeah. name? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So he, I, I don't... He, he, well, he directed Lugosi in Island You're of Lost right. Souls it's... too, though. I mean, oh, one, one, predi- one famous cameo, but yeah. It's a small role, but it's that's also one of his memorable ones you know i mean that's, devo is a band because of that so. that's yeah. right that's yeah. right i i do i do love uh him in that movie so yeah, yeah that's a good point. no but i i think there is something to what you're saying there about like having that not adversary but having that chance to say and especially because he was supposed to play the monster originally mm-hmm. as well uh-huh. and saying like okay well now i'm really gonna bring my a game here uh yeah. and also it was the first thing it was the first role he really got to play in two years so it was yeah. a chance to really like show what he could do for the first time in two years and uh lee kept writing material for him to keep him on board for the whole for the whole um shoot, shoot. so he had to bring his if he stopped bringing his a game lee might have been like eh, okay i think we have enough at this point i think we're good yeah. so he kind of had to do that we're here he's just kind of playing his role. He does have that one moment where he confronts Ludwig and you get a little bit of that menace again, mm-hmm. which you see in the Burgermeister scene. But here, I, again, it just feels more subdued where he blackmails Ludwig into creating or, or fixing the monster. But I think like Hardwick's performance as Ludwig is so kind of milk toast yep. that it doesn't really do much here. Uh, and, and to be honest, like, I don't really buy Igor as like a blackmailer because it's a guy that is like a a dude with a broken neck that's been hung for stealing bodies. Like who's going to listen to this guy? Right. Like, yeah. You know, and and he's going to say like his dad created Frankenstein's monster. It's like, yeah, we know like that's kind of a pretty famous thing. Like not his fault. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Right. Right. He doesn't yeah. just seem to have. He doesn't seem to have enough on him to pull off blackmail against right. him. You know? Okay, but here's my thought. Okay, all right. So we haven't talked about the titular ghost yet. Oh, um, okay. 
So, like, I like before we recording, um, I kind of feel like Curse of Frankenstein is a better title for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if only because I don't think the ghost is actually a ghost. Um, I think it, I mean, okay, it's a ghost. Like, when they wrote it, they were, it's a ghost. It's supposed to be a ghost. Um, but Colin Clive was dead. They didn't bother getting a guy, a different actor to play. So they have Hardwick play the ghost as well. And in my mind, that's not a ghost. That is his ego telling mm-hmm. him he needs to do this. And so... Yeah. I think that, again, I might be being generous here. I think Igor had already saw what he could do with Wolf. So it's not just that he could blackmail Wolf, but he also knew that he could um, kind of work the genetics. Like, he is still mm-hmm. a Frankenstein. And so, like, so I kind of feel like the ghost of Frank, the ghost, the titular ghost is just um, Frankenstein's ego being like, no, you got to do the science stuff. And mm-hmm. I think Igor plays into that. Um, he's not really like the blackmail is an easy thing for us as an audience to put in, but I think that that's also the thing that he's kind of getting at. Like I was able to kind of convince Wolf to do this. I bet I could convince Ludwig, their mm-hmm. brothers, they got that in common. They'll want to do this anyway. So like that's, that's kind of how I think we're like how it sort of works, but okay. maybe I'm being generous, but nonetheless, I, that's, I don't know. Cause Ludwig that. seems genuinely horrified at the prospect of, of mm-hmm. doing this. Like he doesn't seem fully he seems genuinely like please don't tell anybody that that was my dad like he wants to distance himself Mm -hmm. from that where like basil rathbone's um wolf is more about restoring honor to the family name yeah and and really restoring his father's legacy ludwig seems to want nothing to do with that is trying to protect his daughter from all of that in Mm -hmm. genuine and then you know, leaves a diary out for her to find. So good yeah. call there. Yeah. So <laughs> like, like I think there is this, and this is the last movie with a Frankenstein in it. I I think like with an an actual Frankenstein relative. Um, uh, I think there's I like think. a daughter or a oh, is there or, a daughter or a niece? I'm pretty sure that they're taking. Oh yeah, and yeah, that's right. In because they're take uh, in the next one. Maliva takes Talbot oh, yeah. to yeah, Frankenstein yeah, yeah. to right, right. Yeah, cure yeah. him, but he's dead, and it's the niece. Yeah, and, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I kind of think that there's this 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 curse of Frankenstein where we just have to do the science. Mm-hmm. Like something something compels yeah. the men of Frank the, the Frankenstein men, at least from from Heinrich mm-hmm. on, to we have to we have to do the thing. Yeah. We have to we have to do the mad science. Like I it's think, in the genes. Yeah, it's it's like, in the genes. It's in the um, genes. Yeah, so I'm convinced thing. that Hammer took a couple of their titles from this movie. Because mm-hmm. the curse of Frankenstein is mentioned a couple of times. Yep. And then at one point uh someone says Frankenstein must be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so we have two of the titles there. Yep. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so Lionel Atwill is back, our man Lionel. Yeah. And uh, this is his, I think this is his second time being a mad scientist. Second time in the series, but because mm-hmm. um, he was in a, he's like the mad doctor Dr. Marcus X. Street. Yeah, Dr. Um, X or? or. Or yeah, Dr. Rx, he's, Dr. Prescription. Um, I can't yeah. totally remember. He's, like, in, he's in Dr. X and uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum in 1932, yeah. 33. Uh, and yeah, I, th- I think he sort of, yeah, he fit the bill for mad scientists there for a mm-hmm. while. So. So oh, yeah, yeah. He was the mad doctor of Market Street as well, which was a universal movie uh-huh. came, that came out the same year. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. But yeah, he is in Dr. X too, like actual so Dr. X. So despite what we all talked about last week, um, it seems that Universal was like, we don't care. We're just going to keep him working. 
Is that mm-hmm. how this worked out? So his trial wasn't for a few years. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, his trial was like it's because like you the, said it was the Christmas party was what nineteen forty one or nineteen. But I think the trial's a little bit later than that. Yeah. Okay, so he'll be around okay. for like a couple more of these. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they so still have to, to buy out his contract, yeah. probably yep. even if they wanted to get rid of him. So they might yeah. as well use him. Yep. So, yeah, we uh, we in our next episode, Andrew, and it hasn't been published yet, but we go mm-hmm. all into uh, Lionel Atwill's like orgy and stag parties yeah. and yeah. filming. You know. Yeah, yeah. You look at this movie- guy. Turns out Babylon could have been a an okay like riff off of him. Yeah. yeah. But you, you look at Lionel Atwill, you're like, yeah, that's the guy hosting orgies. Like what? Uh-huh. You know, that <laughs> does not seem like that I mean, does not seem like the kind of guy. But you know. Fatty Arbuckle. I'm gonna, I'm okay, gonna put that out true. there too. Um, true. Yeah. Um so yeah, another issue I had is like Atwill and um Hardwick almost seem indistinguishable at times. Like when oh, I'm God, watching yeah. this, I'm like, I'm having trouble distinguishing like Bomer and Ludwig at points, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Bomer is the one that does raise the ethical question. Like, can we, we shouldn't destroy the monster because like it would be murder. And I think that's an interesting ethical point. Like, even though it's an artificial creation, it is someone that has life and it does demonstrate points where, it he is thinking for himself like he is saying like look i want it's on board with taking its brain out and it wants to put this child's brain in its head so it's demonstrating some sort of logic or some sort of thought so mm-hmm. it, it feels like that would be murder like whether or not you know the creature should exist to begin with now that it is here like we've argued for like three movies now it's owed and it, there's a responsibility that's owed to it to assist mm-hmm. it in some way. The the deadbeat dad thing that yeah. uh, that the Devon brought up, mm-hmm. and then and then in the in the bride episode, um, someone bring uh, I don't uh, you're uh, from Egrain. Egrain, uh, yeah, thank yeah. you. I was worried. I was I was, I was saying Egrain. I'm like that's not that's not. Oh, what it it's Egrain. Egrain. Uh, okay, yes. yeah. Egrain said that you know the bride doesn't choose to be born either, and right. so like you know he doesn't. And whether or not this monster should exist, he didn't choose to exist. Right. Um, that is the existential folly of man. In a lot of ways, we didn't make this assumption. We didn't make these decisions, but we're here. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, I don't know, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. like, I'm kind of with Bomer in that sense. Um, but you also have the like vigilante justice concept of it all. Like this monster has murdered a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you also right. have like yeah. that too. We to all kind make of mistakes. Talk about. We all make you mistakes. Know. But yeah, so it's like, I don't know, there's, it's a surprisingly nuanced argument for mm-hmm. a, you know, place filler yeah. <laughs> in a even, Frankenstein movie. Well, says even here, the persons, the monster kills, like on top of the stairs, for example, like mm-hmm. he's getting confronted by people. Yeah. Like he's like getting, there's a huge crowd around him and persons are like attacking him. Like in, in all honesty, it's kind of self-defense. In this movie, yeah. Yeah, and he also thinks, like, even in a lot of the Frankenstein movies, like, a lot of the acts of violence you see as acts of self-defense. It's not really till, like, in Bride of Frankenstein, that's when you see him act, like, in a very murderous way. Mm -hmm. And some of those may have been Carl. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of my argument for most yeah. of them. But when honestly. he yeah. when he yeah. throws I mean, he, 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 when he throws at the beginning, the woman he down definitely the, yeah. kills. Oh yeah, oh yeah, those. Two, oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 good wife, point. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, he's running hot. He just, yeah. he, he just, he just, uh, just got yeah. burned down in a windmill. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah. you know, it's like, I'd be, cool. too. Some yeah, I'd be yeah, yeah. Um, what's Bomer's deal? Like, why is he so adamant about, getting back at Ludwig here. Like I see, I'm not, I couldn't quite get why. Is it because he was, is it because he was disgraced as a, as a physician or something like that? What did he do? They don't really (laughs) say what he did. Yeah. Yeah. It just Uh, sounds like an operation went bad or something. Yeah. 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 And, and it seems like Frankenstein's his only ally Mm -hmm. and he's just like, Oh, I'm going to take this opportunity to prove Mm -hmm. that I'm still a good person surgeon or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know I, it's I don't know. it's very muddied the yeah. medical school that these brothers frankenstein went to is not sus. good <laughs> um, not a good school yeah it is like the you know i don't want to denigrate anybody's um degree so i won't say any but it's just you know <laughs> it feels like a mail order you know you like do maybe you send in some stamps and you get like a degree and it's like you're maybe, a doctor, maybe. you know, got yeah. it out of a cereal box. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, do like the end of this movie. It's all going haywire. You got poison gas. You got crazy ass villagers. You got Bella Lugosi's voice coming out of I Lon Chaney's mouth. Her. We'll live forever. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Which, well, how do they determine I say, that? I gotta say, there's mm-hmm. one. This is the there's a subtlety in uh, Cheney's performance here because his face kind of he kind of gets that smile. Mm-hmm. He kind of gets the Lugosi look in his face there. You okay, know, I, I I see that in this. I, I, like I said, I really hope his original audio that they dubbed over was him doing yeah. a bad Lugosi accent. Like, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. but and. You get the what good is immortality or what good is like a good brain if you don't have eyes. So again, mm-hmm. like really. Yeah, way to be ableist. Yeah. yeah. Way to be ableist, Bella. <laughs> yeah. So it's a crazy ass ending. It really um, is. With a Frankenstein dying, though, finally. Yeah. yeah. Finally, a doctor pays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the most milk toast one, but eh. yeah. yeah, you know, the one who kind of like did the least damage yeah. in the end, you know, the mm-hmm. one who's like kind of the least culpable mm-hmm. in yeah. the end, like he, the monster just shows up on his doorstep. Like he mm-hmm. didn't revive the monster out of his, you know, he's already revived. Uh, didn't create the monster. Um, didn't send the monster out to do any dirty work or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, he just wants to bring his buddy back to life mm-hmm. after the monster has killed him and he ends up dead. And so. he gets tricked, you know, into putting yeah. the wrong brain in. It's not yeah. really, that's not even his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about so, the brain stuff, like this is the, so that brain stuff, there was um, the brain business as I like to refer to it. Cause that becomes a motif from here on out mm-hmm. um, is uh, the, so the, the brain business starts in this movie. The let's let's give them a new brain thing starts in this one, yeah. and then I realized that um, did you ever see Black Friday? So I think it's both Lugosi and Karloff, like kind of a sci-fi gangster movie. I haven't um, seen that came one out. yet. I think it's, I've got I think I've got it in a set. It, yeah, it's it gets it it's an also ran in various box oh, sets. I know, um, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's okay, um, but like it's not really a horror film. It's kind of like a gangster yeah. movie with sci-fi elements. But the brain thing, there's like putting someone else's brain in someone is in is in that one. Yeah, and so that that kind of 
that's sort of being borrowed there that there's all this wolfman stuff and all like this movie is such a product of universal horror up to that point yeah that it's, it's gonna yeah. get ridiculous when you get to uh-huh. house of dracula yeah like the end of i think it's house of dracula the end of that movie like the mechanisms are oh maybe it's no it's house of frankenstein the mm-hmm. mechanisms are going to go to like we're going to put this brain in this guy's body. We're going to put this brain here. You're going to become a werewolf. And it's mm-hmm. just like in yeah. trying to keep track of all of it is going to be fun next week. I yeah, think. there are That'll forums the bing- devoted to that. Yeah, we got to add that to the bingo card. You know, yeah. Brains, yeah. brain switching. Brain swapping. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember... I remember finding a universal monster forum where people are like, wait, whose brain is in the monster at the end of, of, of yeah. house of Dracula. Like, like yeah. yeah. But look, this will carry over. Cause in the next film in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, now like Cheney jr, which is more of a Wolfman sequel than a yeah. Frankenstein. It really movie. is. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really the civil war of, uh, yeah. of that. Of, this is, <laughs> it, it's going to be kind of a running motif. Like by the time you get to House Dracula, like Frankenstein's in the movie for about thirty seconds, really. Yeah, like he well, makes Dracula's barely in House of Frankenstein, so yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, you're gonna get like this a brief, brief cameo of the monster at the end, but really, like from this point on, you're gonna get Frankenstein's monster is that kind of lumbering henchman without a yep. lot of agency yep. of his own, um, but. Going forward, now you're going to have Cheney Jr. as Larry Talbot and the Wolfman mm-hmm. and Lugosi playing the monster. And Lugosi was a little fun fact for next week's production notes. You know, in the original cut of the movie, he speaks mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm blind and I'm talking. And apparently, like, his dialogue was laughed at and ridiculed. So they cut all of it. And it just made his performance like that much more ridiculous. It just looks like yeah. and the they monster also, is stumbling for no that's reason. That's right. That's right. Because they ignore the fact that he is he's blind in that one too. Yep. So it's just sort of like they made it look like Lugosi's a fool. It's sort of that was a big element that yeah. sort of I think said, okay, they laughed him off the screen and mm-hmm. so Lugosi was sort of that was sort of the end of it, you yeah. know, within a couple of years he was in exile essentially. Yep. Or yep. so, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So is that book No Travel Returns? Is that Yeah, no, where, yeah, yeah, that's the name of the book. Okay. I, I haven't I'll read have it yet, it too, but so. it looks really interesting. I'll put mm-hmm. that on my list. Yeah. Well, all right. Any final thoughts on Ghost of Frankenstein before we sign off for the day? I'm I'm now nah, I think Cheney is the mummy in the mummy's curse. And yep. with that lumbering way of acting, I'm wondering if he puts in a better performance as the mummy. Than he plays, as the, yeah, he plays the mummy I mean, like a couple a times. A couple I times, think. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the mummy is sort of my least familiar mm-hmm. franchise, as, yeah, as far as these go. They're not my favorite. Um, I feel bad about that, but... Yeah. Yeah. They can't all be winners. They can't all be winners, indeed. Yeah. Well, yep. Andrew, thank you for coming on with us, my friend. And of course. tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods. What's going on with the Dead Letter Podcast? So we got Sundance stuff coming up next. By the time this is up, we ought to have our our Sundance. Like, well, we do a selection of Sundance titles that we talk about, um, and so we'll have we'll have that one up probably by the time this is up. And then we have, and then the Oscars nominees get 
up pretty soon. And so we usually do one or two mm-hmm. episodes just devoted to the best picture nominees where we mm-hmm. kind of just talk them through and, and stuff. And so that'll be, that'll be January and February. And then uh, in the summer, we're going to, we're kicking around some ideas for our summer series. Um, Cause we always do, we try to have like a good, you know, six to eight episode run about something last year we did because of Oberheimer was that we did atomic. It was our atomic summer. And we did the episode of that that I'm really proud of that if y'all want to seek out is we did a double feature of them and matinee. Oh, excellent. Nice. Yeah. And I put a little, I got, I programmed a few little shorts in there as well. Like I put the duck and cover short in there and we, we talked about that a little, and, uh, and uh, episode eight of Twin Peaks, The Return. And so like we ha- I had like a whole program for that set out. Um, so if you want to look that up, that's the one I'm particularly proud of from the summer. But um, yeah, deadlettermovies.com. And we are on Instagram at deadlettermovies. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd as a, uh, I think you can just search Andrew Fabry, F-A-B-R-Y, and you should be able to find me. I'll be your friend. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. And Brian, how about yourself, my friend? What do you, we've kind of like joked around about all of the stuff that you have going on and all that you're writing about but what's going on with movies for life and what articles you have coming up well i just i've slowed down on the writing a little bit i just needed to catch a breath a little bit but uh, you just said how you're writing like a 10 piece well i (laughs) i i know i just finished my big piece on on uh on the last hammer films but um I'm I'm gonna I gotta slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm gonna so that should be coming out sometime next month. Um, and then, uh, bloody disgusting. I'm writing about uh, the original Gojira. Um, nice. So that should be in in the column uh, pretty soon if it's not already. And then uh, movies for life. We just recorded our first episode, official episode of the year, um, with a snowbound double feature of the gray and Fargo. And so uh, we had a lot of fun uh, with that double feature, you know, so apologies to our listeners in Minnesota. (laughs) Where can folks find you? (laughs) Oh, you can find me at various socials at Brian waves 42. So Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd, blue sky threads. I'm, I have a handle on all of them, though I don't use any right. of them except Letterboxd all that often. Sorry yeah. to say. So. Very cool. All right. All right, listeners. Well, make sure you are following our site, podinthependulum.com. It's where we post all of our back episodes. You can leave us reviews there that'll go to Apple Podcasts and such. Uh, and you can also like leave us some notes there. Like We've actually gotten some like great little uh, interactions with some of our uh, listeners there as well, which we really appreciate. Follow us over on Instagram at Pod and the Pendulum. Follow us at Blueski at Pod and the Pendulum, and Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. And I'll be honest, like I use social media less and less. Like that last site, uh, Twitter is just becoming depressing mm-hmm. to go on to. Like I should probably spend less and less time over there. But we'll find places to interact with you because, like interacting with listeners is fun um one way you can interact with us is to rate review and subscribe to us everywhere you get your shows uh reviews go a super long way to helping new listeners find us and we would really appreciate if you would leave us five stars and a few kind words if you get a moment uh you can do that that would be great 
Another way to help, consider becoming a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash pod in the pendulum and go there. We have a lot of bonus content up there. We'll have some and we have some other goodies up there as well. Almost 50 hours of content up there so far. And we should have double that up there by the end of the year. We'll be back next week with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. We're getting kind of like the marvelization of the Universal Monsters, which is interesting because Universal Monsters would try to become Marvel uh, with the Dark Universe and how awfully that failed. But we're getting our first attempts of that here with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And we'll be back to talk about that next week. And Andrew... You'll be back, I think, with uh, Frank and, uh, House of Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Looking forward to having that on in a couple weeks. So yeah. we'll talk to you all then. Take care, everybody. Bye.